0: They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh.
1: Last week we started this new series called Come to Worship, and um, I have to tell you at the end of the service, uh, we're looking at four different postures of worship. And at the end of the service, when um, when we lifted holy hands, because that was what it was about, we looked at Scripture where God specifically told us to lift hands. We looked at Scripture where where the Apostle Paul specifically said for men to lift holy hands in worship to God. And I was I came down here. We sang the uh, the Mercy Me song. Um, what was it? I just went blank because we just did Word of God speak. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. I went down here and there was four young men on the front front row in in the early service and I was sitting next to them or standing there, we're worshiping and man, I just got carried away in worship. Wasn't paying a whole lot of attention, but I have to admit that I did peak during the first verse and I told y'all, I said, you don't have to raise your hands until you feel it's appropriate to raise your hands. And so I peaked and there's like three people and I'm going, oh, well, maybe, maybe next time we'll try again another time. At the end of the song, as I was walking up on stage to finish up the service, I turned around and I couldn't speak. Because almost everybody had their hands raised to God in worship. And uh, I didn't ask Nicole's uh, permission. I shared this in the first service. She's getting embarrassed. Um, don't get embarrassed. Nicole texted me the next day, and she said, Never have I raised my hands in worship before. But she did in obedience to God, and she said she couldn't even sing. She couldn't even whisper the words. She was over so overwhelmed with um with emotion for who God is and, and just the freedom to, to raise our hands. So we're looking at these different postures. Um, next week, we're going to look at pouring out our hearts before God. The week after that, on the 29th, we're going to look at kneeling before God and, and what that will do for us in our relationship, how that can improve our relationship with God. Our whole series comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that says this. And, and by the way, you're going to say, when we get there, you're going to say King Herod, so just say that out loud. Say King Herod. We're practicing. And then you're going to say, come to worship. So say that, come to worship. All right. I tried this with the early service and they choked. So I want you to be ready because I'm comparing services. I'm all the time comparing services. All right. So when we get there, you say those words. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Oh, y'all are good. I can so tell them next week you you. Whipped them about that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have oh that 's good they 'll even hear that on the recording. I may play that for them next week, and I say, This is how you participate <clears throat> Now this is a big deal. The reason I had you say King Herod is you need to understand who King Herod is. King Herod um, was underneath the Romans, but but make no mistake, King Herod was all about himself. He uh, he he created this seaport in in a swamp where nobody said you could build anything. He figured out how to build, pour concrete a hundred feet underwater before anybody else had ever figured that out. He needed fresh water to this seaport, and so he brought it in from seventeen miles away. Built this this um, I can't even remember what it's called, but it's this basically this. Water water trough that runs 17 miles, and it's never off by more than a quarter inch over 17 miles to bring fresh water to this seaport. Um, He heard that uh, King David, he he was a Jew. He wasn't a very good Jew. He was more Roman than Jew. But he heard that King David was the greatest um, king in Israel's history. So he said, if your greatest king hid on the top of uh, Masada, I'm going to build a palace on the top of Masada. Your king hit out, I'm so much better than your great king, I'm going to build this big palace. Again, he needed fresh water, so what does he do? He reroutes some of the canyons for over 20 miles to bring fresh water so that he can have, he's got warm water baths, he's got cold water baths, he's just, everything he did was about himself, it was large, he was so far ahead of himself as far as uh, uh, timing, being able to do these things, you know, build these things long before people thought that stuff should happen. Well, the reason I tell you this is because your king determines your legacy, all right? Your king determines your legacy. And I I want you to understand, King Herod, although he had to answer to Caesar, King Herod's king was Herod. Now, his legacy was this. He had 11 wives and 43 children. One time he became suspicious of one of his wives, and so he told his attendant, he said, when I leave on this trip, I want you to execute this wife that I think is going to try to take over my kingdom. Well, the attendant told the wife, and so as you can imagine, when he came back, the wife was kind of distant. So King Herod had her executed anyway. He became suspicious of two of his sons. He thought they were going to try to take over the throne. You sensing a theme here? Very insecure dude. And when you build an earthly kingdom, you think you have to defend an earthly kingdom. And, and so anyway, this, he thought these, this one son, he thought he was gonna take over, so he had him drowned in the family pool. Yeah. And then he probably had a party there right afterwards. I don't know. He's just a messed up dude. Two other sons were were conniving, thought to be conniving to take over his kingdom. So he has them come out, and he has a historian actually write down their words of their speeches where they said, "Dad, we would never do that. We aren't trying to take over your throne. We wouldn't do that." He had them executed. One time he had a dispute with the highest uh, religious Jewish leaders in the in the country. What do you think he did with them? Executed. Shortly before, oh wait. Yeah, shortly before his death, he built this hippodrome. Now you understand, you have to understand when I say large and in charge, he built this outdoor theater that they believe seated 500,000 people. He did this 2,000 years ago. One of the largest stadiums in history. He had orders to, when he died, he was sick and he was about to die. He filled the stadium, the Hippodrome with Jewish people. And he said, when I die, I want you to execute all of the Jews in the Hippodrome. And when he was asked why, he said, so that I will be sure there will be weeping and mourning at my death. That's a jacked up dude, right? Right. Okay, so, so when these wise men from another land show up and they say, we heard that the king of the Jews has been born, how do you think, oh, insecure Herod is going to react? It explains why when they didn't come back and, and tell him where the child was, remember what he did? He sent the death squad to Bethlehem to kill all of the male boys under two years of age because he was so, he got his panic on because somebody said the real king of the Jews has been born. Well, I'm the king of the Jews is what Herod thought. And so the the wise men didn't go back to him and and look what it says in verse 9. After this interview um, with Herod, the wise men went on their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Now, I don't want you to miss the magnitude I'm having issues still. (laughs) Stuff is all over the place here. Um, I'll get it eventually untangled. Uh, I don't want you to miss the magnitude of how far they went. Put that first slide up there, if you would, Travis. The Jerusalem slide. Okay, see Jerusalem, that little red dot over there? Everybody say yes. yes. All right, good. Y'all are good. Now, there's a there's a town over here called Mashad. You see it in the corner up there, right? Everybody got that. Now, what we think is, well, we believe that the wise men came from an eastern land, eastern land that was Persia at that time. It's what's Iran now, and we think that they traveled at least 900 miles in order to see the Christ child. They saw this star in the east. It was a star that moved. It was they were stargazers. They'd never seen a star that moved, so they decided to follow it. And it took them who knows how long. It took them several months to go 900 miles. Now, when when my parents were alive, they lived in Borger, Texas. Uh, go ahead and put the. The the Denver one up there, yeah, Denver. Okay, well, if you if you go northwest for nine hundred miles, you get to Denver, All right? Nine hundred two miles. Google Maps says that it takes about fourteen. How long does it take? Have you driven it, Brad, from here to Denver? How long does it take? 14 or 15 hours. All right. Now we used to go to Borger. Borger was 500 miles, so a little over half of that distance. And if you, if you were very careful and very strategic about your bathroom stops, like only if it was an emergency, then, then you could make it to my hometown in about Eight hours. Now, we I always wanted to take one of those little portable potty things, you know, because I had two girls. Caleb, you know, you just stop and go out there. But Janie wouldn't let me. So I had to stop at, you know, civilized places. So sometimes it took us more than eight hours. But my point is, if you're very careful and you drive very fast, you can make this trip in 14 or 15 hours. Now, if you go west, you end up in Lordsburg, New Mexico, 900 miles from here. And then do you have the Augusta one? Sometimes they're not coming up. If you go east, you end up in Augusta. Now, I tell you this to say, it's not fun to get in a car, especially with little children who can't hold their water, and try to drive a long distance. The wise men didn't get to drive. They may, maybe they were on camels. We don't know. They, we just know it was a very, very difficult job for them to go 900 miles to worship this child. Now, here's what I want you to see. They went on this long, painful journey. And when they get there, look at verse 10. When they saw the star, now the star stopped. It had been moving. They'd been following it for months. When they saw the star, it had stopped. They were filled with joy. Now I got to explain this word to you. "Filled with joy," um, you heard another translation. "Overjoyed." There's there's another translation that says they were they were rejoiced with exceeding great joy. There's four Greek words that are translated into this phrase that we get "overjoyed," and that's what we're going to say. The wise men were overjoyed. That's on your listening guide. Um, if you if you translate it literally, those four words mean they rejoiced with a big, humongous, overarching joy. That's my translation, but it works. It's like joy on steroids. It's like saying we're happy that we're happy. We're oh so happy that the Savior is born. So much joy that it overflowed. That's why we're saying overjoyed. It spilled out of them because they'd never seen a star like this. They'd never worshiped a king like this. They believed he was going to save them from their sins, and they were overjoyed. So for centuries, they'd prayed and they'd studied and they'd heard the stories that there was going to be a savior. They finally found him. They were overjoyed with a big, humongous, gigantic joy. And that's where I have problem with Christians today, with some Christians today. Because too many Christians are underjoyed. Right? Go to church and seems like a funeral. Right? Anybody else? Now, we don't have this here, but I've been where door greeters. Ignore the people that are coming in? Doesn't make sense to me. We should be the most joyful people around. Knowing that we have a God who works together in all things for the good of those who are who know God and are called according to his purpose. Don't you dare come into worship looking mad or critical or upset with an unforgiving heart. That's not that's not what worship is. If you come in here mad, upset, unforgiving, critical spirit, it means you're looking at yourself and it means your king at that moment is you. Because when you see the Savior, when you see that child in the manger, when you recognize what he had to overcome in order to to, to give his life for you, you can't help but worship. You will be overjoyed. So if you're overjoyed, tell your face. Because I can't tell sometimes. Right, Smile clap. Because no matter how bad your situation is, what do you have? If you're in the kingdom of God, you've got you've got eternity. It does not matter what man does to me. Paul says to live as Christ because people needed to hear more about Jesus Christ. But he said to die is gain because when I die, I no longer am bald. <laughs> I no longer am fat i 'm going to have this long flowing mane of i don 't know what god 's going to give me, but <laughs> but it ain 't this, and i 'm praising the Lord for that see i 'm overjoyed that someday we don 't have to fear anything because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross because the tomb is empty, so smile clap, lift up holy hands to God when you worship, be known as a follower of Christ who likes life. I heard Tammy talking about that last night. They were talking about how much fun they like these songs. And, and she said over, she didn't know I was listening. I was in here on the, on the soundboard putting some slides up and they were out there talking. And she said, there's nothing wrong with having fun at church. I'm going, no, there's not. We need to live like that. People ought to see you and say, that's one of the happiest people I've ever met. Why? Because you're overjoyed that you have a savior. So the wise men traveled 900 miles and they couldn't wait to worship him. And it reminds me of Haiti because folks in Haiti get up and they put on their, their best clothes they have. And and their whites, we talk about this all the time, their white clothes are whiter than anything we have. I don't know what they, they don't use Tide. They actually scrub them, you know, and the children that, that go to school, they wear uniforms. They wash their clothes every day. Many times the kids do themselves because their parents are working. Mom and dad are both working. They don't have time to do the laundry. So the kids will come home and they'll wash their clothes to get ready for the next day. It's the same set of clothes. But when they go to church, sometimes they walk miles. And when the songs start, I can say that, that most people that I've seen in Haiti worship are overjoyed. That's not what we see in the United States. Why is that? I think that, that we're wrapped up in, I think we're too rich. That's what I actually think. Because I was talking to some, some of the translators when I was there last month and, and he said, you know, all the time people come here and they say, you're so poor, you're so poor, you're so poor. And he said, no, 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 we're rich. We're rich in relationships. We're rich in our worship of our savior. And, and I was like, man, we get so caught up in finances. That we miss what's really important. Look what happened with the wise men in verse 11. They entered the house. Now, when you see most um, nativity scenes, they're incorrect. Because if the wise men are there, they come into a house. Because it took them months to get there. Anyway, that's just one of my pet peeves. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they did what? What? bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were overjoyed to bow down and worship. There was no hint of underjoyed giving. We have to give to this guy because he's gonna be a king. My, uh, my daughters have given me some gifts through the years that, that I like, and, and this is one that Rachel gave me. I guess it was this last year, right, baby? This last, I don't even remember what it was for, but it's one of my favorite gifts. It says, I love that you're my dad. I have it next to my chair at home, and and every time I look at it, it, it makes my heart feel warm because my daughter gave this to me, and, and Rachel doesn't do anything haphazardly. She thinks through stuff, gifts she gives. She's made gifts for me through the years, and it's a big deal, and I love this. Hannah gave me one. Uh, I think this was for Father's Day, maybe a year ago, and this one cracks me up, and it is so Hannah. Um, it says, you know, she cut out the little things, I heart you, Dad. And every one of them has a different um, picture of her personality. And this one's in my office back here. And, and I look at those things all the time. And, and my heart is warm because my girls gave me that. They never once have said, Dad, we don't really like you. But at Sunday school, they said, we got to give you gifts. So Here. Not once have my daughters given me something with underjoyed giving. Do you know what happens all the time, though, with Christians? Last week we talked about lifting holy hands. Today we're going to talk about giving, and some of you are going, dang, I came on Giving Sunday. Why couldn't I have been here on the raising hands deal? Well, that was last week. Get the CD. See, the scholars have debated for years about what the what the gifts meant. That the gold maybe represented his that he's an earthly king, but we also know he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They they say that the frankincense um, probably represents his priestly ministry because in the temple they would burn incense to God and it was a pleasing aroma to God. And the the myrrh is something that they actually embalm dead bodies with, so that this was actually foreshadowing the um, the death of Jesus. The fact that he was born to die. Can I tell you something about the meaning of the gifts? I don't care what they mean. I mean that may offend you. I don't care. I don't care what the gifts mean. What's significant to me is these men traveled 900 miles and they couldn't wait to give. And that's not what we usually see. Can I tell you who gets upset whenever I talk about giving? first service, every question I ask, Travis is reading ahead on my transcript back there and answering. So I'm, thank you, Travis. I thought we might as well be consistent in first and second service. The people who get upset with me when I talk about giving are the non givers. I've never once met a person who gives regularly, who gets upset when we talk about giving. Um, the reason we talk about this, the reason that wise men traveled 900 miles and they opened up and they gave him gifts. Do you want to know why? Say yes. Love gives, right? If somebody says they love you and they never give you anything, do you believe them? Some of you do. Come on, let's be honest. Some of you do, and the rest of us on the outside are going, "They never giving you nothing." Hit the road. Janie's one of the most giving people I know. She loves to give presents on, on birthdays. She gets more excited about the gift than the person who receives the gift. She wants you to open it. And, and by the way, Christmas is, is Jesus' birthday and it's the only birthday party I know of where we give presents to everyone except the birthday boy. What's up with that trash? I don't know. That's a, another pet peeve, but we won't, we won't camp out there. When Janie gives, you know who she's emulating? God the Father, and I'll show you how another know. Y'all, uh, this doesn't happen as much as it used to, but used to all the time at major sporting events. There was a sign that was held up, and it was a verse of Scripture, the most famous verse in all of the Bible. What is it? John three sixteen. And, and let me read this to you from the New Living Translation. For God loved the world so much that he gave. I bolded and I underlined certain things it, so you can get this. God loved so much he gave. He gave not gold and frankincense and myrrh. He gave his only son so that you and I might have eternal life. Everyone who believes in, in him will not perish but have eternal life. God looked at creation. He said, I know they can't get back to me because there's sin in their life. So God knew he had to offer An innocent third party had to give their life because if you and I stood before God, our sins send us to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose hell whenever we turn our backs on God and we say, I don't want what you have. Why in the world, if someone rejects God their whole life, every breath of their life, why would you then expect to go spend time with God in eternity? Because God says, you rejected me in life, then you've rejected me in death. But we don't have to live separated from him because jesus christ was born he he was flesh and blood he lived a perfect life he died on the cross but he didn't stay dead that's why baptism is so meaningful to me because we serve a god who is not still in the grave every other world religion the major founder of that religion is dead and in some of them like the muslim faith you have to go to mecca once a year you're supposed to go to mecca and worship at the at the The throne, not the throne, the the tomb of Muhammad. He's dead and he's still there. But, But Christianity, we serve a risen savior. That's why we should be overjoyed because ours isn't still there. God loved so much. He gave. Look what else it says in Romans 5, 8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God didn't just shout from heaven. I love you. God showed on earth his love. I have a really cool present here that Janie got for me my uh, our first anniversary. Have y'all ever heard of Nolan Ryan? (laughs) Well, when I was in seminary, I was in Arlington, and our church was like five minutes from Arlington Stadium. I said it wrong earlier. The old stadium, the round one that was old, that was Arlington Stadium, and we had we had some higher ups in the um, in. Texas Rangers organization that, that went to our church. Well, so one night I'm there and I have, it's a Wednesday night and this was before Janie and I were married and this friend of mine calls, he's a church member and he calls and he goes, hey dude, I've got two free tickets, third row, third or fourth row behind the dugout on the third baseline, do you wanna go? And I said, I'd love to go, but I've got youth group. And he said, man, we're gonna honor God. We're gonna have a great time in youth group. Whenever we get finished, we'll go. So we show up in about the second inning. Nolan Ryan is pitching. And do you know what he happened to do that very night? Pitched his seventh no hitter. Now on the, on the back page of the Dallas Morning News with this picture. Now right down here is just the generic one that's stamped on it, you know, the autograph that was on, in the paper. This one over here right above his knee. Janie took this in and actually had Nolan Ryan autograph this. And then she framed it for me and gave it to me on our one year anniversary. And in just, you know, they say all the time that, you know, there were only like 40,000 people that could be in the stadium, but there's probably a million people who said that they were at his seventh no hitter. You know, that's the way it goes. I got the ticket stub. I was there, baby. You think this means a lot to me? Yes, I like Nolan Ryan. He's a cool dude. I think the Rangers screwed up whenever they let him go, but we'll talk about that later. What means so much is, is the, the pain and the effort, the time that Janie went through to get this done for me on our first year anniversary. It's very, very meaningful because my wife demonstrated her love for me. God demonstrated his love when he sent Jesus Christ. From Heaven to Earth to die in your place, that should cause us to be overjoyed now, some people say, well, I, I love God, but i 'm afraid to give. I love God, but my finances are bad well i 've got a verse for you, and this is from Solomon in Proverbs chapter three, verse five through ten. Excuse me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. The, today's English version says, don't rely on what you think you know. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom instead fear the Lord and turn away from evil Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce now the best thing The best part is the first fruits in the old testament. This was this was something they practiced first fruits means when you gathered in your Harvest the first fruits were supposed to be an offering to God. So say that word first fruits It's one word if you're ever going to look it up just we're going to talk about that in a second now the word honor, he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor means to praise, to adore, to worship someone. And and Solomon says, you're supposed to, one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways you're supposed to worship God is with your finances. And someone goes, can I just raise my hands? Because that doesn't cost me anything. If love gives. Now, some of you, it's, it's hard to raise your hands. I, I grew up a fundamental Baptist And and you didn't raise your hands for anything. You didn't weep. You didn't sing loud. Actually, if you sang monotone, that was better. You know, because people, we were supposed to be these little robots that never had any feelings. So, yes, I understand raising your hands for some of you, that's a big deal. But if love gives and you don't, does that mean you love God? That's something you've got to answer. What the scripture teaches is if you honor God with your first fruits, he will meet your needs, not your greed, your needs. Malachi 310 says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is the only time in scripture that God says, I dare you to test me in this. And just so you understand, tithe, T-I-T-H-E, means tenth. Malachi says, when we worship God with our first fruits, with the first part, then God will bless us. He says, I'll pour out a blessing so much that you can't contain it. And if you're a new believer or if you're an unbeliever, this sounds crazy you. Ten percent? Are you nuts? Do the math. And, And I'll just point you back to what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said, trust in the Lord. With all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Honor the Lord with with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Here's how we say it. We bring our first and best to God. We bring our first and best and trust God to bless the rest. That's how we say it. Works better if I can read. Bring the first 10%, not the last 10%, not the leftovers. When we're blessed is when we're supposed to give. And any time I talk about this, the tithers will be out in the in the congregation. They'll be nodding their heads because I'm not telling them anything they don't know. They know that 90% blessed by God is better than 100% cursed by God any time. God's plan is always better. And do you know where you're supposed to offer the tithe? Wherever it is, you get fed the bread of life. So the the local church is where you're supposed to do that. I have three compassion children that we give to. $38 a month, Go two of them are in Haiti, uh, one's in Africa. and And that is not a tithe when I give that money to those children. That's an offering. And offerings are good, but it's not the tithe. God says, bring the whole tithe wherever it is that he has called you. God has called me to be here, so we give our tithe. In fact, I'm overjoyed to give the tithe. I've been tithing for 32 years, and I need to go back and add it all up. How much we have given over that time, and I'm just going to tell you, God will bless you in ways you don't even understand. When we started the church, we didn't have money for groceries. We'd come home, there'd be groceries on the on the front porch. There would be a... a a Walmart gift card in the offering basket, in the joy basket, and, and it would say for Doug and Janie, and we would go buy groceries with that. There was just unbelievable ways that God has provided, and and He has been faithful. And it's not a magic thing. I'm not telling you that if you tithe, you're going to get a new car. That's that's not the way it works. God gets to decide how He's going to bless you. But I'm just going to tell you that that if you give one time, because this this happens, people write on the cards, I tithe one time and God didn't show up. So I'm not tithing anymore. You, you can't be stupid with the other 90% and expect God to bless you. God, God tells you very clearly how to do money. You know, like, like debt. We've been out of debt for years, and we're not ever going to go back into debt. Our church has been out of debt for years. We're not ever going to go back in debt. Have you all ever paid something called stupid tax? Stupid tax is when you buy something and then it's worth less the moment you take it off the lot or out of the store or whatever and you're still paying for 17 years or however long you know make those minimum payments actually some of those minimum payments if you do that you can go up to 32 years they want you to keep paying because they're making anyway that's stupid tax Dave Ramsey calls it stupid tax and we've all paid stupid tax I don't want to do that anymore. So we've been out of debt a long time, and we're, we just don't want to be back in debt. We just don't want to have debt. Because then no matter what happens, we're okay. Because we set aside 10% for savings, we give God 10%, we live on the rest. It's just this very simple plan that, that's also ingenious. Now, God wants us to give our money, but he also wants us to give our hearts, our lives. Look what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It's an act of worship when you offer God your life. So last week when we raised our holy hands, that was that was an act of worship. When we give today, that's an act of worship. When we sing, that's an act of worship. And so I'm going to ask everybody today to give something. Some of you, you're going to tithe for the first time in your life. You're going to give 10%. You're going to say, God, I trust you, and I'm I'm going to be the, the a tither from now on. Some of you are going to give five bucks. Some of you, maybe 50 cents. I don't know. I'm just going to ask you to give something. Even if you're not a believer in Christ, give something. It's still good to give. It's better to give than to receive. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play a song. This is Francesca Battistelli. Um, it's the Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. And, and I'm just going to ask you to think as you as you hear this song, it's her in concert. And, and the reason I chose this this video is because you're going to see thousands of people in this stadium worshiping some raised hands and you're going to it's just a great song. I want you to listen to the words of the song and I want you to think about the wise men traveling 900 miles and they couldn't wait to worship. And I want you to imagine if you were one of the wise men it, in the condition of your heart today, would you even give God a gift when you got there? So we'll watch this and then we'll finish up. That's a great song, isn't it? Holy Spirit, you're welcome to come into my life. Holy Spirit, you're welcome to come into my home. Holy Spirit, you're welcome to come into my hospital room whenever I'm sick or whenever a loved one is dying. Holy Spirit, you are welcome to come to a funeral when I don't understand what's going on. But Holy Spirit, you're not welcome to what's in here. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Some of you have been living what we call an underjoyed life. You know that you're blessed beyond measure, but you've just not been living that way. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Just got to admit, God, I'm underjoyed. All right, that's lots of you. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So you just need to confess that, God, I have been living underjoyed. Help me to get my eyes off of myself, off of my circumstances, back onto you. Some of you struggle with this idea of tithing. Doesn't make sense to me. It's it's too much. How could God? Whatever. And I just want you to be honest. If you're one of those that struggles with tithing, would you raise your hands? All right. Thank you for being honest. Go back to the word of God. Anytime you have any questions in your heart, go back to the word of God. Go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce. And he will cause your barns to be filled and your vats to overflow with good wine. Now, some of you are here today because you're not a believer in Christ. You've you've never given your heart to Christ. And there's something on the inside that's been tugging you and you know that it's not an accident that you're here today. If you were to die tonight and you aren't you sure that you'd go to heaven, would you just look up at me for a second? The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then it says this really cool thing in, in Romans chapter 5. It says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not you might be, it's you can hope for, it is you will be saved. First John chapter five, John says these things we've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. So if you're one of those that, that you're not sure, here's what the Bible says. You ask Jesus to be your forgiver and your leader. And I'll, I'll say a prayer out loud. You just say it silently where you are. God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know I need a savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. The best I know how I give you my life and I accept yours in return. Now, keep your heads bowed for just a second. If you prayed that prayer today, would you look at me? Awesome. Scripture says that when you pray that prayer, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You've been adopted into the family of God. You no longer have to worry about where you're going to spend eternity because you're part of his family. And the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice when one lost sinner comes home. There's more than one came home today. I kind of think that's worth a celebration, don't you? Let's clap a little bit. You guys are awesome. Next week, we're going to talk about pouring out our hearts before God. The 29th, we're going to talk about kneeling before God. Come back and bring somebody. Studies indicate that one out of four adults would come to church if somebody asked them. Why don't you be the person that asks?